Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox. I'm the Compliance Evangelist, and I'd like to welcome you to episode 138 of This Week in FCPA for the week ending January 18, 2019, the Burger Kings at the White House edition. As Trump serves Burger King patties to our national champion Clemson Tigers, the Pats, Chiefs, Saints, and Rams roll into the NFL's version of the Final Four. Will the new guard arise or will the last stand of the old guard hold? Jay Rosen and I are back in the saddle for some of this week's top compliance and ethics stories. But first, a word from our sponsor, Affiliated Monitors. Founded in 2004, Affiliated Monitors provides professional independent integrity monitoring and ethics and compliance assessments nationally and internationally and across almost all industries. With its knowledge of effective ethics and compliance programs and cultures, Affiliated Monitors is respected for its work as the corporate monitor on matters ranging from multinational corporations to mid- and small-sized companies, and even individuals. Having served in over 700 monitorships, no one has more experience as an independent monitor than the team at Affiliated Monitors. For more information on how an independent monitor can help improve your company's ethics and compliance programs, visit our sponsor, Affiliated Monitors, at www.affiliatedmonitors.com. Today, we look at some of the week's most interesting compliance and ethics stories. Dick Casson bookends 2018 and 2019 on compliance and compliance practitioners. A new head of the DOJ uh, fraud section comments on the whistleblower office and the False Claims Act whistleblowers. We take a look at the bribe destroyer law from Italy. And Mike Volkoff reminds us to be aware of false profits. Fortunately, MSU Interim President John Engler has now resigned with his well-worn foot in his mouth. We ask, what will the future CCO look like? And we consider the top 10 cybersecurity issues from 2019. This is Tom Fox. I'm the Compliance Evangelist. This Week in FCPA is a presentation of the Compliance Podcast Network. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox, the Compliance Evangelist welcoming you on behalf of myself and Jay Rose and Mr. Monitors to This Week in FCPA, episode 138, for the week ending January 18, 2019, the Burger King at the White House edition. Jay, as President Trump serves Burger Kings to the national champion Clemson Tigers, the Patriots, the Chiefs, the Saints, roll and the Rams roll into the NFL's version of the Final Four. Will the new guard arise, or will this be the last stand of the old guard? So I suppose we'll need to explore that, but uh, we had quite a few interesting compliance and ethics stories in this week, so why don't we just jump right into it? Sure. We've got a um, couple articles from um, Dick Casson over the FCPA blog. Uh, One of them came out just briefly after the new year, and then another one came out earlier this week, and they're kind of bookends. Um, in Dick's first piece, he took a look at the big story of 2018, which he says, in retrospect, is compliance officers. And he says it was a breakout year for compliance officers and compliance professionals, making them the big story of 2018. Last year, in mid-year, he said they're rock stars now, they're famous, and above all, they're wanted by corporations. Um, Dick seems to see that there's been a global shift towards the compliance culture. Uh, Enforcement agencies and regulars in the U.S. and elsewhere now expect and often require companies to have deep and demonstrable compliance cultures, 
at least 17 company countries from about a dozen countries have talked about culture in recent FCPA disclosures, and these include uh, Airbus, Telia, SNC-Lavalin, Rio Tinto, Barclays, Electrobras, and the list goes on and on. So when companies are now being um, looked at from the regulators, they expect them to have a firmly and deeply entrenched compliance culture. Book ended with that, and we talk about this in a little bit more depth in the first Everything Compliance of the year, which will come out next week. Uh, Dick says the big story for 2019 is going to be enhanced due diligence with artificial intelligence. And he talks about not, not that AI will come in and replace the actual doing of the due diligence, but that you will be able to take the additional information that's out there that's accessible from your business operations and basically combine compliance with HR, with operations, and with other, um, you know, different um, data streams within your company. So he expects technology uh, to start working on that. And at some point, uh, they will arrive at this throughout the coming year. So this is something that we've always taken a look at technology on our podcast. And this is, I think, um, Dick is spot on with uh, both the wrap up from last year and the prediction for what's coming next. Uh, next, we have uh, an article from Kelly Swanson over at Global Investigations Review, and uh, we've got another um, revolving door over at the DOJ. Uh, Robert Zink this week has taken over as acting chief of the fraud section following the departure of Sandra Mosher, who has gone to Quinn Emanuel. Um, before the promotion, Zink had served as an acting principal deputy under Moser, and he began his career as, career as an associate at Covington and Burling. In May 2017, Zink and Moser took temporary charge of the fraud section after the then-chief Andrew Weissman joined special counsel Robert Miller, Mueller's Trump investigation. So, um, you know, I, I, I don't anticipate any... Uh, Variances right now in current policy. There was a slew of activity that came out through the DOJ in Q4 of last year, which we've tracked. But um, just uh, an update that Zinc is running operations now. So, Tom, uh, now on your side, we've got something about the office of the whistleblower. What's happening there? Well, Jay, inspired by your bookends in our first. Uh article. I want to book in uh, Kelly Swanson uh, from Global Investigation Review for her second uh, notation today, but I also want to book in whistleblowing uh, in both the SEC Dodd-Frank context and the Federal Claims Act context. So uh, first of all, uh, Sean McCasey, who our listeners will remember was the first head of the FC, excuse me, the uh, Securities and Exchange Commission Office of the Whistleblower said he was quote, befuddled in the quote by proposed amendments to Dodd-Frank that give greater discretion to commissioners on whether deciding to award an appropriate uh, whistleblower amount. Uh, he really didn't hold back. He said that it injects a layer of uncertainty into the process that was pretty much clean. The program does not scream for this kind of change, and there's no burning protest uh, that people are getting paid too much. Um, the uh, SEC, of course, last summer said that they wanted to reduce the amount of um, 
whistleblower compensation for uh, penalties above one hundred thousand dollars. Excuse me, one hundred million dollars, where the fine and penalty was at that level. It's really difficult to understand what the purpose of the SEC proposed change was. Uh, other than uh, perhaps uh, corporations are just uh, they don't want whistleblowers at that amount. So um, the uh, it, it really befuddles Sean McCasey. I think it befuddled really everyone in the compliance community. Last year we had the largest uh, year of whistleblower payouts, over 175 million, that actually exceeded the first five years of whistleblower payouts. So obviously the system is working. Obviously the SEC is getting quality tips, which are leading to uh, not only significant fines and penalties, but basically just compliance with the Securities and Exchange Act. So uh, you might say as basic as if it ain't broke, why fix it? Uh, but uh, may, there may be some other um, nefarious political actions or uh, pressure going on here. He also had a couple of words about uh, what not to do when a whistleblower reports. Uh, 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 Kelly also quoted Joe Warren from Gibson Dunn uh, that you cannot go after or retaliate against the whistleblower. Certainly you can investigate the claims. Certainly you can remediate. But Joe Warren said you need to separate the message from the messenger. And McCasey added that the SEC does not look kindly upon a company who goes after a whistleblower for leaking documents. So it's really something that companies need to be cognizant of. And I guess you still have to say, um, don't go after the messenger in this situation. Uh, I want to book in this with some testimony from the attorney general designate, William Barr, who back in 1988, I believe, had called the Federal Claims Act and the whistleblower uh, function under that as an abomination. He completely reversed course, Jay, during the uh, um, hearings uh, and, in, and, in, and in under questioning from Chuck Grassley, Republican of Ohio, uh, he said he would be diligent in enforcing the False Claims Act, and he said he doesn't consider the law any longer to be an abomination. There was a lot of pressure really led by the National Whistleblower Center Foundation, uh, excuse me, founder and co-president Stephen Cohn, who had been very vocal against uh, Attorney General-designate Barr. He said that uh, in response that our voices were heard, we are pleased that the Attorney General-designate has changed his position, and we will continue to hold him accountable for fulfilling this under oath commitment. So certainly good news for those who believe that whistleblowers uh, help uh, the, uh, the government recover money based on fraud, waste, and abuse. And the um, comments of McCasey, I think, really drive home that the uh, SEC whistleblower program is working. It's working very well, and there does not need to be a, a change in that going forward. Tom, you also wanted to talk about an article uh, from the FCPA blog from our colleague Vera Sharapanova, and it's about changes in Italian law, especially the, quote, bribe destroyer law. What caught your eye there? Well, Jay, when you have uh, anything entitled a bribe destroyer, uh, that catches my eye. And so uh, that was right up in the title of Vera's article. It was a very interesting article about changes in the Italian law, uh, Spazacatorti, if I didn't butcher that too badly, uh, Bill, uh, had some very interesting changes to uh, and really beefed up the strength of the Italian anti-bribery law. Italy is the lowest 
uh, has the lowest score in the TICPI in Europe, uh, coming in with uh, 54th on the uh, index with a uh, CPI of 50 out of 100. So clearly something needed to be done by the Italian government. It's really a revolution in the fight against corruption. Uh, there's some really interesting things. First of all, it struck my eye as a lawyer. Statute of limitation is frozen. Uh, so that's uh, – uh, for all you lawyer geeks out there, you'll understand that's a big change. But also amped up the penalties. People who are banned uh, uh, receive sentences of over two years are banned from public office for life. There are increased penalties for other claims. Uh, there's an expanded definition of uh, government official uh, to include a wider variety of those and make clear that really anybody in a government or semi-governmental uh, or semi-public position is going to be covered by the law. It also expanded the private bribery to bribery law uh, to uh, prosecute directors, general managers, and executives entrusted with the preparation of the company's books and records. So we have an enhanced books and records and internal control. It beefs up uh, compliance programs and uh, uh that uh, requires companies to have enhanced compliance programs. It's really a, a very welcome addition to the uh, family of laws literally across the globe on anti-bribery and anti-corruption. And to see Italy stepping up to this um, really drives home that this is uh, almost uh, ubiquitous now, Jay. Next up, Mike Volkoff, uh, continuing with our uh, string of headlines uh, that certainly caught my eye. Um on the dangers of benchmarking. And uh, as Mike said, uh, you really have to be aware of false prophets going forward. So a very biblical opening by Mr. Volkoff in this blog post. And he really had a great point that I don't think is really talked about enough, Jay. And that is that um, every company is different and benchmarking may uh, not give you the information that you need. So, um, Two companies may appear facially similar, uh, but they differ in their not only risk-bearing issues, such as the number of third parties or in-house staff or other sales mechanism, but their risk profile and indeed their risk appetite. So uh, you need to uh, take benchmarking not with a grain of salt, but make sure that uh, you do so uh, when uh, uh, with the facts, circumstances, and particulars of your company. So a uh, good reminder uh, from Mike on this going forward. And I think, you know, Tom, it makes a lot of sense because when you read about designing your own ethics and compliance program, the DOJ also says that every program is unique. There is not one size fits all. So I think it makes certain sense if you're going to benchmark you have to find those uh, companies or those uh, comps that are going to be closest to your uh, to your industry. And the same thing with about not only benchmarking, but how you build your compliance program. You want it to be bespoke and to address your company's needs. Uh, next up, Tom, you uh, got a little Shakespeare on us this week. So uh, why don't you tell us about Trollius and Cressida and how that uh, sets up for the tragedy that happened at one of your alma maters, MSU. So thanks, Jay. Yeah, I had uh, I got uh, inspired, uh, been uh, watching and listening and reading some more Shakespeare. So I wanted to have a mini Shakespeare week, and I looked at the problem plays. And problem plays are generally those which have some comedic elements, but they have some tragic elements as well. Um, and in Troilus and Cressida, we certainly had uh, both of these elements. Um, and uh, when you 
read them and or watch them, sometimes, or at least for me, the tragedy overwhelmed the comedic elements. And that really was the theme I wanted to use about uh, this week and Michigan State University. And now, thank God, former interim president John Engler. Engler had given a uh, interview to the Detroit um, News earlier, uh, I guess last week, where he said that some of the rape victims of um, Larry Nasser, uh, the disgraced former uh, gym leader uh, that worked at Michigan State, were actually enjoying the spotlight on this. And uh, I don't really think you can really say much worse, although uh, Engler wasn't the first time he put his foot in his mouth. And the um, the best quote I can, uh, or best thing I can uh, say to you uh, that I found is a quote from Nancy Hogshead. And for those uh, who remember their um, Olympic history, she was a, a U.S. swimmer back in the 80s. And she runs an, uh, an organization called Champion Women, which advocates, uh, advocates for women and girls in sports. And she said, quote, right, women get raped for attention, just another way victims are discounted. And, and I think she hit it spot on on the head. The outcry was uh, immediate when these uh, remarks were published. And uh, there was a literally within 48 hours, there's going to be a vote by the MSU trustees uh, t- uh, on whether or not to remove Engler. And in that interim period, he resigned. So uh, all I can say is thank God. He left. Uh, the things he said during this period were just uh, horrific, Jay. Um, he said not only that uh, these women were uh, enjoying the spotlight, but he accused them of um, getting kickbacks from uh, attorneys for manipulating other women who had been sexually assaulted uh, by Nasser. He, uh, uh, I think, really uh, uh, denigrated Michigan State's efforts to put forward a culture of compliance by uh, removing the chief compliance officer from a university uh, division head and putting it under the audit function. So um, really, uh, as a Michigan State grad, I thought his conduct was just horrific, and I was glad, uh, frankly, that he's gone now. Well, good riddance, and hopefully uh, better things to come from uh, Spartan Nation. Um, Next up, we have another uh, article that we're referencing from the FCPA blog. This is from KPMG's Annabelle Rioch and Tom Barrett, and they want to take a look at what an effective compliance officer in 2019 looks like. So, um, you know, these are basically some attributes that they think an effective uh, ethics compliance leader should have. They should have reactivity and proactivity. So they have the ability to anticipate or self-initiate projects and also be change-oriented and be able to effectively respond. They should have innovation and rationality. They should be resourceful and innovative or logical, rational, and structured. And they should really be able to leverage their emotional intelligence and subject matter expertise. And this would be to be more people-focused or technically-minded. Basically, they thought that um, the best compliance officer is the archetypal people person, charismatic, empathetic, and collaborative. They will be technically minded. They will have the knowledge to experience and address a variety of compliance issues. And finally, they are methodical, rational, and results-driven. 
Uh, importantly, a compliance officer should be afforded an appropriate level of seniority to ensure that they have influence and stature in the organization. I think you just addressed that in the MSU uh, article where uh, compliance was basically uh, unceremoniously dumped into audit. And uh, finally, companies are increasingly expecting their compliance officers to be even mobile. So not to be just an active advocate uh, voicing the benefits to the business, but actually to perform this role to get out on the proverbial shot floor. So this is a real good um, checklist. If you were going to hire a compliance professional, these were the things that you'd be looking for. Uh, the other thing that we've got up next is uh, an article that comes to us from NYU's Compliance and Enforcement, Enforcement blog. It's 2019 predictions for the top 10 cybersecurity privacy trends to pre pre prepare for. Excuse me. This comes to us from a group of attorneys at Davis Polk. And uh, I'm just going to kind of blow through these right now, but uh, I would definitely uh, recommend you uh, downloading this from the show notes if uh, so cybersecurity is something that you are working for in your organization. Uh, number one, the most important thing is uh, consumer consent, figuring out what kind of consent is needed from clients and customers in order to use or sell their personal data. Number two is data breach shareholder class actions. The number of these actions uh, in security cases arising out of data breaches and all of them rose dramatically in 2018, and they predict will continue to rise in 2019. Uh, number three is expanding notions of harm. In 2019, they expect to see courts and regulators expand what constitutes harm in connection with data breach beyond economic injury. Uh, number four, cybersecurity negligence, negligence changes, um, claims rather. Number five, this is an interesting one. I haven't heard this term before. Targeted cyber attacks will increase. I've heard that, but there's a new term, Tom, and I don't know if you've heard of it, called vishing, which is voice phishing, and you have the uh, fraudster calling into the HR department pr uh, pretending to be an employee and phishing for information that you can use uh, to get back into the system and even get more sensitive data. The last five are vendor risk management, regulation of the Internet of Things, serious uh, federal privacy and data security legislation, uh, New York uh, Department of Financial uh, Services enforcement to increase, and finally, the SEC cyber enforcement goes beyond disclosure issues. So in short, they expect the SEC to bring cyber-related enforcement actions in 2019 both for disclosure issues and for companies that fail to have reasonable policies and procedures. So this, again, is really going to come into play with uh, personal information, with uh, privacy trends, and uh, I think it's a great list of things to uh, look at what you need to build for in the coming year. Uh, Tom, you uh, have a very interesting five-part uh, series that you did with John Gill, who's the VP of Education at the Association of Certified Fraud Examiner Examiners. Can you give us a little preview on that? Yeah, that uh, was a series that went up this week. It was a lot of fun. Uh, John Gill's incredibly knowledgeable. He's actually interviewed these people um, uh, around their fraud. Uh, we had a five-part where we explored various reasons 
and how frauds were perp- perpetrated. Um, check out the series. We uh, have one on Nathan Mueller, one on Mark Whitaker, Andrea Baxendale, James Brandolino, and James, excuse me, Joseph Gromasek. Uh That's up this week. Uh, if I could uh, maybe go into uh, a little bit of preview of next week, Jay, I'm going to have a five-part series with uh, Eric Feldman and Vin Deciani on um, from Affiliated Monitors on the DOJ's uh, guidance that they released last year. And I don't mean there's a new document, but they uh, uh, articulated several different topics, compliance-related topics over the year. And we go into a, a deep dive on what they mean, how you can use them, uh, both internally and externally, and the use of a third-party monitor uh, in that process. So for our listeners, uh, check that out. Uh, it's going to be a great series uh, as well. Jay, I don't know if you'll be in Houston on Thursday the 24th, but if you are, you're certainly welcome to join uh, me as my guest at the Greater Houston Business and Ethics Roundtable. We're going to have Control Risk is going to uh, present on their 2018 heat map. It's a really interesting presentation. The heat map, of course, is a great tool for the compliance practitioner. If you are listening uh, to this podcast and you're in Houston and you're not a Gerber member, if you want to attend, please give me a shout and uh, I will see that uh, you could come uh, join as my guest. Um, it's uh, it's going to be a great way for Gerber to uh, start the year off. Uh, now that we've I gotten through the compliance stories, Jay, can we get to some sports questions? Let's do it. Is it uh, it's old school versus new school? Old school is Tom Brady and Drew, and new school is Patrick Mahomes. And uh, who's my quarterback for the uh, LA Rams? Jared Goff, right? Jared Goff. Yes. Yeah. So, what do you think? Is it the changing of the guards, or are the uh, old guys going to make one last stand? So uh, this is a really interesting uh, weekend. And, and, you know, we had kind of the same uh, queries with uh, certainly the coachings on the NFC side. Uh, So um, I don't really think we're going to see a difference in style um, because I think all four teams play similarly. Uh, I do think Patrick Mahomes uh, has a different level of athleticism. Uh, 23-year-old Patrick Mahomes uh, vis-a-vis 41-year-old Tom Brady. Uh, 61-year-old Todd Brady? Tom Brady Brady is married to Giselle Bunch. Tom Brady, yeah, that one. Um, So, uh, you know, I think Mahomes really brings uh, something that Brady no longer has in his repertoire, but what Brady has is the best coach in pro football. And – Belichick, I think, will come up with a scheme uh, to contain Mahomes, whether or not um, New England has the overall talent uh, to beat Kansas City. Uh, it Actually, I think the worse the weather is, the better it will be for New England, because Kansas City is one of the most difficult places to play. It's the loudest. And if it's bitterly cold, zero, below, something like that. Um, everybody's going to be so bundled up. They can't really kind of let loose like they would uh, when it's a little bit warmer. You, I mean, just think of clapping with gloves on and how much noise that makes. So, um, and the colder it is, the more it will become a, kind of a slug it out, short passing, dinks and dunks, and uh, um, running game. Uh, and if it's a high wind, that I think will affect Mahomes' ability to to throw the ball downfield. Brady really doesn't throw it downfield too much anymore. 
Um, so uh, I hate to put weather on as a as a reason. I, I would love to see Tom Brady go back uh, to the Super Bowl, um, but uh, I'm afraid that uh, Kansas City may overall have the better team in this situation. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I, I agree with you. Um, that they definitely, you know, get the home field advantage. They are the the younger, the more dynamic team. I think the uh, saving grace that will hopefully make it competitive is, um, you know, Belichick always tries to take away your number one weapon. So if they take away Mahomes, they're going to force KC to either beat them on the ground in the air. And if you're going to if you're saying it's as cold as it's going to be, it's going to be hard uh, to throw that ball. And New England has uh, done a very good job of having uh a three-headed monster there at the running back uh, position. They've got Sony Michelle, they got Rex uh, Burhardt, and they also have um, uh, James White, who's been the hero for them before in the Super Bowl. So, uh, you know, Belichick has the know-how. He's had the uh, time to prepare for this team, and we've played them before. So, I ex- I don't expect a blowout. I expect it to be close. But I could uh, I could be seeing that uh, Kansas City advances on the NFC side. Uh, we're going to be playing in a dome. So weather is not going to be the issue. Um, you know, you've got somebody else who's coming off the uh, Parcells uh, coaching tree, which is Sean Payton. Uh, New Orleans has just a very talented offensive team. They can beat you in the air. They can beat you on the ground. And uh, I think uh, what this is going to come down to is uh, what will Wade Phillips' defense look like, and can they keep uh, can they keep competitive with uh, the Saints in terms of scoring? And uh, I could actually see the uh, the the Rams seeking one out here. I guess that's uh, part of me being a Southern California homer as well. What do you think about the uh, NFC side of the tilt? Wow. I, <clears throat> I'm surprised to hear you support your home team. Um, the uh, um, I think that New Orleans actually um, it's going to be a lot for Goff to overcome. Uh, he uh, he did play very well, but he played from ahead, very far ahead against the Cowboys. If uh, the Rams can dominate the line of scrimmage like they did against the Cowboys, I think they'll have a fair shot. Uh, but um, all, all hail Drew Brees in the Superdome. Uh, they will; those who datters will be going crazy. Uh, they'll be had plenty to drink, and they will be loud, and they will be ornery. So whether uh, the Rams can overcome that, um, once again, I think this one's going to come down to uh, the the pits in the line, and if uh, New Orleans can control on their offensive line and get Kamara running. I think it's going to open up the New Orleans passing attack. And if that gets going, I think it's going to be difficult for Goff to really match Drew Brees strike for strike, touchdown for touchdown. Uh, So, uh, but I'm looking forward, Jay, to a great couple of games. uh, See who we get to to see in our our Super Bowl going forward. So uh, I'm going to be bunkered in watching some football tomorrow. I will be joining you. So, um, I think that does it. I think we've had a, a great a great podcast today. Uh, we've promoted everything that's coming up. Oh, the last thing I wanted to say 
Thank you for that invite to Gerber. Unfortunately, uh, I won't be able to make it. I'll be down in Costa Mesa next Friday uh, for an SCCE uh, regional event. And uh, my colleague Eric Feldman will be speaking there and he'll be discussing perverse incentives. So uh, if you are in Southern California and you are available, please come join us in Costa Mesa. We'd love to see you next week. So uh, on behalf of Tom Fox, the Compliance Evangelist, and myself, Jay Rosen, Mr. Monitor, we'd like to thank you for joining us for this week in FCPA episode 138 for the week ending January 11th, 2012, the Burger King at the White House edition. Thanks for joining us and enjoy the games tomorrow. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox again. I'd like to thank you for listening to this episode of This Week in FCPA. If you have any questions, you can email Jay at jrosen at affiliatedmonitors.com. You can email me at tfox at tfoxlaw.com. I hope you've enjoyed this episode, and I hope you'll join Jay and I again next week where we take a look at some of the week's top compliance and ethics stories. This Week in FCPA is a part of the Compliance Podcast Network. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.